Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. Keep your head up, marching on. Don't let nothing stand in your way. Hello there, warrior. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week, we talk about five things related to recovery, and today's topic is five science-backed methods to improve body image with Dr. Carolyn Becker. Dr. Carolyn Becker is a licensed clinical psychologist and professor at Trinity University at the Center for the Sciences and Innovation. She specializes in the implementation of scientifically supported interventions in clinical and real-world settings. Her primary areas of research include both body image, eating disorders, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Carolyn Becker about some of the research she's done in the area of improving body image. And she's discovered things that you can practice in your daily life that are scientifically proven to make a positive difference. These are empirically backed, meaning not only have these methods been found to improve body image by one researcher, but that multiple researchers have been able to independently replicate these findings. Before we hop into Dr. Carolyn Becker's work, I want to invite you to take our listener survey. In doing so, you get to enter our raffle for a free recovery strategy session with me. I'm picking two lucky winners at the upcoming new moon, and if you don't win this time around, you'll stay in the running each new moon. The link is in the episode notes below. And your feedback really does help. It allows us to curate content on the show specifically for you, which is what we've done with today's show. An anonymous listener wrote in that they'd like to hear how to handle when friends, family, or anyone around us talk about the diets they're on, whether that's some food restriction, exercise, weight loss, and any type of body transformation. When you're in recovery, this can be so hard to deal with these type of comments. And Dr. Kalen Becker is going to touch on this throughout the episode, particularly when it comes to body comments. So you will come out on the other end with new things to try to say next time you're faced with someone talking about diets and bodies in their life. So thank you to the lovely anonymous listener for this request. And if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, we invite you to let us know through the listener survey. Once again, the link is down below in the episode notes. Now let's dive into these five science-backed methods to improve body image. Number one. Use cognitive dissonance. So what exactly is cognitive dissonance and how can you use it to make changes for the better? Dr. Carolyn Becker broke it down like this. 
So cognitive dissonance is the uncomfortable psychological state that occurs when your actions and your beliefs are misaligned. So it can also occur when you have two competing beliefs, but most often it comes from when your actions and your beliefs are misaligned. So for instance, let's say I have a belief that I'll just, I'm going to be really sort of extreme here. Let me say I have a belief that you're like a really awful person. Um, but then I'm in a situation and I'm voluntarily really, really nice to you. That's likely to give me this uncomfortable feeling in the sense I'm a behavioral hypocrite. You'll see this I play a lot in studies on racism. For instance, they'll look at people who hold racist beliefs. And if they voluntarily act nice towards people of the race that they hold negative beliefs, what you'll typically see is that beliefs move in line with actions. So people will actually become less racist by voluntarily being nice to people of a race they hold negative beliefs about. Cognitive dissonance is a mental conflict that occurs when your beliefs don't line up with your actions. It's an uncomfortable state of mind when someone has contradictory values, attitudes, or perspectives about the same thing. What does this have to do with body image? Here's what Dr. Carolyn Becker has to say. We presume that women and adolescent girls to some degree have bought into the thin ideal appearance standard in our culture, or what these days we often just call the appearance ideal. And the appearance ideal is the image promoted by the media of what the ideal woman and girl looks like. So we, we believe that people in Western culture um, and in other cultures to some degree as well, sort of internalize the, this sort of appearance ideal message. We have participants voluntarily, that voluntary piece is key, voluntarily speak and act against that appearance standard. That creates that conflict, that uncomfortable psychological state. And what we see is that people decrease their investment in that appearance standard. And by decreasing that investment in the appearance standard, they are able to be happier with their bodies. Um, so you see this sort of cascading effect. I believe in the um, appearance ideal of my culture less. Therefore, I have less discrepancy between my own body and that ideal. I, it, it doesn't matter to me as much. This means I have decreased body dissatisfaction, and that cascades into a number, number of positive effects. Wow, yeah, I can definitely see that. Now, do you feel there's like a time period where it's a little more of like fake it till you make it? Like, because maybe this idea of the thin, thin ideal has been mm -hmm. kind of really imprinted into the mind sure. for a few years. Yeah, so I think when people first start engaging in the activities, um, the activities have been designed to really induce this sense of cognitive dissonance. So for people who really have bought into the appearance standard, it can be really uncomfortable. So it's not necessarily so much fake it till you make it as in I'm doing this and it's really conflicting with this deep held belief. And you'll watch people really struggle with that. Um, but what happens as they continue to engage in the activities is that their investment starts to decrease, that that, that cognitive dissonance starts to work. Now, let's move on to our next science-backed method to improve body image. Number two, be assertive. An important part of Dr. Kaylin Becker's research is teaching participants to be assertive in challenging the beauty ideal. She shared some ways that she practiced this with research participants. Let's give an example. Let's go ahead and start with a verbal um, activity. So this is one that participants often have a lot of fun with, but they can also be really, really challenging. So we will have group leaders actually engage in sort of pro-appearance ideal talk. So for instance, I might say to you, does this make my dress, does this dress make me look fat? 
Now, as a typical woman in our society, you might be inclined to go, oh, no, no, it doesn't make you look fat. You, you, know, it, you, you look good and thin in it. Um, in doing so, you're actually buying into the appearance ideal. So we have participants practice statements that really counter that appearance ideal. So instead, you might say something like, well, you know what? I don't really, you know, focus so much on, you know, whether or not I conform to society standards. I think the bigger issue is, do you feel comfortable in the dress and does the dress fit you? So how do you feel when you're wearing that dress? Mm, that's great. Exactly. Just kind of deflecting that mm -hmm. towards... I don't put that much importance on this. I don't put that much importance. I mean, so that those are, that's a really classic verbal one. Um, so another verbal example might be, does this make my butt look big? All right, so I can throw that back on you. How would you challenge that? Does this make my butt look big? I'd say it's my favorite asset. <laughs> <laughs> yes, excellent, perfect. <laughs> so that's exactly what we want participants to start doing. You know, there are all sorts of examples of these types of statements. Um, I've, we've had participants who will recount really sort of uncomfortable times where people were really mean about their body. So I can remember implementing this program with somebody with a group of girls in a high school. And one of them talked about how when she was waitressing, one of the male waitstaff made some comment about, you know, her arms really needed more toning. And, you know, after that, she felt really uncomfortable. And in this kind of hot restaurant where she's running back and forth to the kitchen, at first she really felt pressure to, you know, wear long sleeves. So I'm sort of sliding into a behavioral example. So one of the things that we did was that we had her wear uh, short sleeves in the restaurant, which she was much more physically comfortable with, but she was also waiting for him to make a comment. And so he did again. He said, oh, he's like, you're wearing short sleeves again. He goes, but doesn't look like you've toned up yet. And she was just able to sort of come back and go, you know what? My arms are just as good at your arms in carrying these plates back and forward. So, you know, if, if you have some commentary, you can just keep it to yourself. So it sounds like a very empowered stance of being able to kind of shift the dialogue from the standard body talk that we're all kind of used to as a culture and mm -hmm. then throwing it on its head and saying, I don't even want to engage in this. Exactly. So we're really trying to teach people to be assertive, um, not inappropriate, but assertive around body talk because, I mean, there are times where it's also just incredibly rude and being able to respond back to people and say, you know what, that's a really inappropriate thing to say. Yeah. Uh, or I choose not to engage in this negative approach to my body. So for instance, if you have somebody comment to you, hey, I feel like I'm having such a fat day. Do you want to go on this diet with me? Um, you could come back with something like, you know what? I really just try to focus on making sure that I'm taking good care of my body to a reasonable extent. Um, and then after that, I just try to appreciate the body that my genes gave me. Appreciate the body that your genes gave you and use assertiveness in the face of unreasonable body ideals. This brings us to our third science back method to improve body image. Number three, analyze the costs. Have you ever thought about what subscribing to the thin ideal actually costs you? Like really thought about it. This is a question Dr. Carolyn Becker asks her research participants. We have participants write down what are all the costs of pursuing the appearance ideal. So most people are very aware of what they see as the perceived benefits of pursuing the appearance ideal. If I reach the appearance ideal, all these wonderful, glorious things are supposedly going to happen to me. Um, 
what we try to, what we ask participants to do is say, but what does it cost you to pursue the appearance ideal? What does it cost you physically? What does it cost you emotionally? What does it cost you in terms of your school or your work? What does it cost you relationship wise? What does it cost you financially? Um, What does it cost the people around you? What does it cost us as a society? When participants start making these massive lists of all of the costs of the appearance ideal, and they realize that they're not the ones benefiting from it, they start to go, wait a minute, like I didn't even realize I was paying all of these costs. So one of the first key things is just to let people really spell out, what does it cost you to pursue the appearance ideal? Now, a second great exercise is for you to write a letter to a younger um, a younger person really articulating what the costs are of pursuing this. So basically, if you have a younger friend, cousin, sister, you know, neighbor, um, write to her, or you could even write to your younger self and say, you may not realize it, but this is what it's going to cost you. And try and talk her out of pursuing the appearance ideal. Talk to her about the benefits of rejecting the appearance ideal. And in writing all of that out, you yourself will benefit. That's great. I mean, one clear benefit, I think, is confidence, right? Is that what you mm-hmm. find like, a lot of people get from rejecting it? Now, what yep. are some of the costs that you've seen from, you know, doing, facilitating so many of these groups? What are common? You know, the, the costs are myriad. I mean, they're just tons and tons of costs. I mean, obviously, there's the financial costs. Um, okay. your, your costs can range from, you know, excessive amounts of beauty products. It could be spending enormous amounts of money engaging in fitness activities that you don't enjoy. Um, so that you're doing not because you're just trying to be healthy, but because you're trying to pursue this unrealistic ideal. It can be money spent on cosmetic surgery or procedures. It can be time, time spent away from family and friends, time spent away from activities that you would rather do, time in the mornings when, you know, it might be that your preference would be to be able to get up, tumble out of bed, you know, engage in minimal amount of grooming, but instead you're spending like an hour and a half trying to get ready because of anxiety about appearance standards. It can be costs in mental health, in emotional well-being. Um, It can be relationship costs. It can be costs in terms of pleasure, not being able to enjoy all sorts of things that you would otherwise enjoy because you feel miserable about your body or because you don't allow yourself to eat sufficiently or you reject foods that are not going to harm your health in moderation, but you do so because of anxiety about meeting an impossible standard. There, there's so many costs. And when you let um, people really sit down and take the time to articulate them and then come together as a group and spin off each other and go, oh, that made me think of this cost. And oh, yeah, we need to add that cost. And then I think they're the cost to us, to women generally and girls generally um, as a collective, um, the way that competition over the appearance standard frays our social bonds. And then there's the cost to us as a society. You know, one exercise that I like to do when I'm giving a talk is I'll ask people, imagine all the time, energy, emotion, and money that girls and women spend hating their bodies and add all of that up. And then think about all the things we could accomplish in the world. If we took all that time, energy, emotion, and money and spent it on things other than hating our bodies. Imagine what it'd look like if we took all the time, energy, emotion, and money and spent it on things other than hating our bodies. The world would be a completely different place. Now, moving on to our fourth science-backed method to improve body image. Number four, step outside of your comfort zone. Dr. Carolyn Becker has found in her research that inviting people to step outside of their comfort zone by challenging behaviors 
is a powerful way to improve body image. I think the behavioral challenges are the hardest and they can be the most powerful. So at the at the end of the day, I am a cognitive behavior therapist, but I'm but I probably lean harder on the behavior therapy side of things. So so two activities, which is we'll have participants identify things that they avoid doing that they would like to do because of body image concerns. So like if your style isn't to wear, you know, teeny tiny shorts, we're not going to include we're not going to encourage you to do that. If it's just not your style, it's not something you want to do. We don't care if you prefer wearing longer shorts, that's fine. On the other hand, if you tell me, you know, I live in San Antonio, Texas. If you tell me that you're living in San Antonio, Texas, and you're not wearing shorts at all because of body image concerns, then you're hotter than necessary. And that's not really functional. And so we would then encourage you to begin to engage in those activities that you're not doing. Um, If you're not going to the swimming pool when your friends are going to the swimming pool because you feel so uncomfortable wearing a bathing suit, then we're going to encourage you to go and do that. We're going to encourage you to engage in what we call behavioral challenges or behavioral exposures to activities that you would like to do but don't feel comfortable doing because of body image concerns. So by kind of facing these fears, mm-hmm. anxiety can arise, right? What are ways that you can work with the anxiety that can come up when you're in the moment? So what typically happens is that people discover is that that anxiety is completely tolerable and that if they stick with it, you know, whatever their biggest fear is, is challenged. So in many cases, it's that somebody's going to come up and say something to them. And in most cases, that doesn't happen. Everybody's living in their own little world. At other times, somebody does come up and say something, and what the person discovers is that they, they're like, I can totally take that. You're a jerk for saying that. I have every right to wear shorts as much as you do. Um, so you'll see responses like the example I gave you of the young woman who was you know, working as waitstaff. You know, in other cases, people are like, you know what, I totally forgot that I was doing the you know, exposure, and it was fine. Um, so it's just a really great way. It's exposure. This type of behavioral challenge has been long shown to be the best way to reduce anxiety. Um, so what we encourage people to do, though, is don't necessarily bite off something that seems really, really like impossible. So if you're, if you're, you know, you haven't gone to the beach in a bathing suit in a very, very long time, and you say to me, "Well, I think a one piece would be easier than a, than a bikini," then I would say, "We'll probably start with the one piece." And go ahead and do that and go with your friends and make sure you're sort of setting it up to have as good a time as possible. On the one hand, it's really effective to just jump in with both feet. Um, but if you're doing this on your own, it, it's, it's sometimes easier to make it a little bit more doable. Do you find um, with the exposure that there's kind of like a, a curve in which there'll be a heightened amount of anxiety and then it reduces? Historically, with these types of activities, we did graph and we would say the anxiety goes up and then it gradually comes down and that's known as the habituation model of anxiety. What we've since learned is that actually when exposure works is when you learn whatever it is you need to learn. So if you need to learn that, you know what, I went out there in the bathing suit and I was having such a good time, I forgot I was wearing a bathing suit, then that's what you needed to learn. But somebody else might have needed to learn something completely different. They might have needed to learn that they were going to be able to respond to the obnoxious people of the world, that indeed they did get negative comments, but that they were okay with those negative comments. Someone else might need to learn that, you know what, they were really unlikely to get negative comments. So different people need to learn different things. And it's not always that the anxiety goes up and then the anxiety comes down on a reliable basis. The key thing is, is that you put yourself out there to learn what you need to learn. That is worth saying again. The key thing is that you put yourself out there to learn what you need to learn. And finally, let's move on to our last science-backed method to improve body image. 
Number five, recognize the role of social media. Dr. Carolyn Becker found in her body image research groups that the topic of social media would come up a lot. And it's no surprise why. Think about how attached we are to our phones and how addictive these social media apps are designed to be. And then when you think about the filters and the editing apps and how people are posting these curated photos that are not realistic to what they or anyone else looks like in real life, we've really created this very interesting social experiment, one in which our reality is distorted. The perception of how we see ourselves and others becomes influenced. And with such a distorted reality, we lose sight of an accurate perception. And this reinforces the appearance ideal that we feel we need to live up to. The good news is you can actually use social media as a tool to improve your relationship to your body and help challenge the beauty ideal. Dr. Carolyn Becker and I discussed the role social media plays in both breaking down and building up body image. We definitely hear from lots of participants that they've had negative social media examples or they feel social media pressure. Um, You know, every time somebody photoshops or puts a filter on a photo, to some degree, they're often, they're conforming um, with the appearance standards. You know, there's all this pressure to just sort of automatically be altering our appearance um, in social media. And so I've certainly seen some participants be like, you know what I'm going to do is when somebody takes a picture of me and I don't like it, I'm just going to let it stay up there. I'm not going to, you know, take it down. I'm going to let unflattering pictures of me being up there because if I was having fun, that's what matters. Um, So there's all sorts of ways to resist on social media. And I think there are all sorts of ways that social media can basically enact the broader culture and put pressure on people to conform to the appearance standard. It's about participants becoming aware of that and then thinking proactively about ways to resist. I see one thing that comes up a lot, especially in the Instagram platform Mm -hmm. is the body positive community and really people who are using certain hashtags that call yep. attention, all of these quote unquote flaws that we have mm-hmm. that aren't, you know, they're very much part of being a woman, right. cellulite and roles and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, have people found that being part of these communities has helped them in really being able to kind of have that padding between the cognitive dissonance become a little bit more narrow? I think what they find is that they, that you can see more examples of people resisting and the more people around you resist, the easier it is to resist. I think when you're the lone person out there resisting, that's really, really tough. But when you can join communities of other people who are resisting, and I really think that we really are starting to push that needle back a little bit. I mean, if you talk to me back in 2000, I was like, wow, we have this like huge uphill climb and it doesn't feel like we've got any traction yet. And now when I look at those kinds of activities and I look at some of the people out there and I, you know, look at the community that we built and that other researchers and activists have also contributed to, it's not just us. There are many, many groups working on this. I really do think that we are starting to push the needle back. We still have a long way to go, but we've got some traction now. So these are our five science-backed ways to improve body image. Thank you to Dr. Carolyn Becker for sharing her practical advice and research-backed methods. Her work truly is incredible in throw and sparks hope for real change. It is possible to improve your relationship to food and body, and using some of the methods discussed today can help. To review, our five science-backed methods to improve body image are number one, use cognitive dissidence. Two, be assertive. Three, analyze the costs. Four, step outside of your comfort zone. And five, recognize the role of social media. I'm going to leave you with a final word from Dr. Carolyn Becker about her methods on improving body image. I think it's naive 
to think that we're all just going to walk through the world and suddenly be immune to like what are massive marketing campaigns. I mean, people spend, companies spend billions of dollars a year trying to make us hate our bodies. And we have, we now have massive cultural norms that are all aimed at making us miserable. And so the idea that we're going to be able to walk through life and just sort of be like, yeah, no, I really don't care. I mean, clearly some people can do that, but I'm going to offer more of a coping model and say that it's not that I feel like I'm completely immune, but that I feel like I have great tools to say I'm not going to waste time on this. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.